Well, I visited, uh, that's Charlotte Hicks. Hasn't been able to be in church for a fair amount of time because she's uh, in that time of life. She's in an assisted living uh, called Highgate. Her long-term memory is pretty good, but her short-term memory is not too good. And, uh, of course, uh, daughter Laurel, there you go, daughter Laurel. And uh, so I went down to visit her, made an appointment with Laurel, and, uh, and happened to get there right when they were finishing lunch. And uh, looks to me, from what I saw, uh, that they do a pretty good job with the food at, uh, at Highgate. And I sat down, and Laurel's plate was uh, cleaned right off like I would do myself. But uh, her mom's plate uh, just had, you know, picked at a little of this and a little of that. And, but she was working away on some ice cream. <laughs> and uh, how, how old is your mom? 92. 92. So I thought, well, you know, I'm going to have to give her a little hard time. I said, are you having dessert without cleaning off your plate? And she said, I can't eat the broccoli. <laughs> and it looked really good. I mean, you know, sometimes, you know, every vegetable can be, you know, overcooked, you know, whatever. But it looked really good. And Laurel was kind of slipping into that mom mode saying, well, you should try it and so on. Can't eat the broccoli. <laughs> and at 92, you're not going to make me. No. <laughs> she didn't say that, but uh, that's kind of the message we got. You know, in Christianity, there is some stuff we talk about that's sort of like ice cream. You know, we talk about going to heaven. Man, I am looking forward to going to heaven and not to hell. I mean, that's ice cream. That's dessert. That's, uh, that's good stuff. Uh, we talk about loving one another. Good stuff. Yeah. And, and in fact, we can talk about all kinds of things, and we can sit here and go, that's good, that's good. But when it comes right down to it, the vegetables of the Christian life is obedience. Obedience. And the Apostle Paul in Philippians 4 has, has laid out a, a pretty significant summary of the Christian life in some ways, when he starts in verse 4 by saying, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I will say rejoice. Now let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Then he says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, make your request known to God. Verse 7, The peace of God will guard your hearts. And then verse 8, he says, Whatever things are true, and whatever things are noble and just, and so on, think on these things. And we're going, Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and then in verse 9, he says, The things you have learned and received and heard and saw in me, do. And the, peace of, and the God of peace will be with you. The thing that we want to understand today at the end of this passage, which really is a, kind of a little summary of the Christian life, is, is this. A genuine relationship with God requires obedience. Now, you know, that's one of those statements that you're probably thinking, Well, no kidding, Dave. Real profundity. You sat in your office all week and that's what you came up with. Well, it is because that's what the Apostle Paul came up with. It was important enough that he had to say, now do this stuff. 
And so as we unpack this verse 9, the first thing we're going to understand is this. Obedience begins with learning God's truth. Uh, Look at verse 9, please. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw do. Learned and received, those two words have to do with the process of learning. Uh, one is, the, the word learn has to do with, the, with sort of the giving out phase, and then the word received has to do with the taking in. We start with learning. In the days of the apostles, when the word of God was still being given, before it had been completed, it was completed in about eighty ninety or so with the apostle John, writing the book of Revelation. That was the conclusion of the written word of God. But until then, they were getting it personally through the apostles. And so the apostle Paul is saying, now when I was with you, I taught you some things. See, they couldn't pop open their study Bible. If they were rich, they might have had a paper copy of some part of the Bible. But the common man came to church and heard it read and heard it taught and had to work at remembering it so when he went out, he could do it. And that's what the Apostle Paul is saying. Here's an example of how that process went on in 1 Thessalonians 4 uh, when he says, I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep. Here was an area of their understanding that had not yet been filled in. And so the teaching is out for the first time. I do not want you to be ignorant concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. This was a brand new teaching for them. It would be like if you hadn't read 1 Thessalonians before and you opened it up and you read that and went, wow, that's really cool. There's a day coming when God's going to take all the Christians still alive, take them right off the planet, but right before that, the Christians who have died, are, and they're going to be resurrected, and we're all going to be with the Lord in the air. It was a brand new teaching for them. Here's the part that I want you to understand right today. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. You can only gain the benefit that God intends for you from his truth if you know it. There's another little piece of rocket science for you. Again, it's like, well, duh. And yet, what is the effort we give to knowing it? We want the benefit. Oh, yeah. We want the blessing of God. Uh, you know, I, I, when I was in Seattle, I, it hasn't happened much here, but in Seattle, I used to get people regularly coming, calling me up wanting to know if I would marry them. Just, just people from out of the blue. And they come in, I say, well, come in, sit down, and we'll talk. And I would say, uh, you know, get around to, you know, we would have a whole process there. I would say, now, I'm, I'm assuming that most people in your situation think they're going to get the blessing of God by getting married in a church. They kind of nod their head. Say, but that's not how you get the blessing of God on your marriage. You see, we want the benefit but we don't want to work to know his truth. 
unlike the Thessalonians or the Philippians, we've got the whole Word of God right here. God gave us all this wonderful knowledge, but we've got to learn it if we're going to gain the benefit from it. When we were in, in Boardman, Oregon, one of the men who was a leader in our church uh, came in and told me one day, uh, and he had a wife and at least one or two kids, and you know he had a job. His wife had a, you know, she was a professional woman, had a substantial job in the community, and he came in and said, we're going to sell our house and move to Portland, and I'm going to go to Bible college. Great. I said, are you thinking about becoming a pastor? Well, I don't know whether that'll happen or not. But then he said something <laughs> like this. How can you go wrong spending a year studying the Bible? I thought, well, good for you, brother. He was going to go and go full-time to Bible school. And you know, he got out of that Bible school program and did not become a pastor until years later. And then the, his church called him. Where's the effort in your life to know God's Word? It starts with reading. It continues on to be in this setting, to be reading good godly books. Obedience begins with learning God's truth. If you are here today saying in your heart, I want to walk with the Lord, then it starts with knowing God's truth. But it doesn't stop there. It goes on to the next word in Philippians 4.9. Obedience requires acceptance of God's truth. He says, you learned and you received. You received. You accepted it as true. It's like the people in Thessalonica. For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, in other words, they're sitting there hearing the teaching, the, you received the word you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as the word of men. But as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. At some point in your Christian life, you need to decide what this book is. Is this the word of God? Is this God's truth, which he caused to be recorded by mankind so that we could have it and do it? Or is it a collection of of men's thoughts, which are just nice things like some Greek philosophy book. I heard a pastor one time say this, the parts of the Bible that speak about salvation are God's word. Well, what about the other parts of the Bible? If Genesis 1 through 3 isn't literally true, then Christ didn't need to die on the cross. Genesis 1 through 3 is where we learn that God set man up in a perfect world and man chose to rebel even under perfect circumstances. That's why Christ had to die. If that didn't happen in the Garden of Eden, there's no need for that event in the, in the garden uh, or in the, on the hill of Calvary. Is this the word of God or is it, as I heard a man say one time, just a story to teach us something about right and wrong? We have to come to a point where we say, that is the word of God. I was talking, uh, I, I walked into McDonald's this week, one of my rare visits for breakfast. <laughs> Carrying my newspaper. 
And a guy from the think tank at McDonald's He comes over and he says, are you a Christian minister? I thought, well, where's this going? And I said, yes, yes, I am. And he started telling me about his life. Now, this is a guy who, who sits over in the corner with the think tank, and, and I've said hi to him and everybody else that we've never talked before. And he just starts telling me about his life and his investment of his life into reading and trying to understand philosophy and how that brought him to a place of a nervous breakdown. And... Uh, he was talking to me about certain philosophical ideas of God and, uh, you know, who God is. He says, you know, like Jesus Christ is the Son of God. It must work like this or work like that. <laughs> and after a while I said, have you read the Bible? Not much. But what he said about the Bible was, basically, it's some stuff written by men. Okay. Well, if it's stuff written by men, then lay it down, walk away, and don't go back. But if it's stuff written by God, then you have a mandate to obey. There can't be a middle ground where you say, well, it's kind of the word of God, but I get to choose what I want because, 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 because. The people who often refuse to accept the Bible as the Word of God do so because they don't like some of the truth. Maybe you're here today with serious questions. I mean, you're not just a skeptic. You're a person saying, I want to know that the Word of God is, is valid and, and trustworthy. And it would be my joy to sit down with you after church or sometime this week and say, let me show you some things that you probably don't know about the Word of God. Be an honest critic and read it. Don't stand there and try to tell me you understand God when you haven't read what he wrote. But when you read it, receive it as it is in fact the word of God. Because if it's the word of God, it needs to change your life. Now, the next thing that we understand from the Apostle Paul that's really important is this. Obedience is encouraged by the observation of God's truth. We have to hear it, learn it. We have to accept it as his truth. And our understanding is greatly enhanced by observation. Look at verse 9 again, please. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me. So the Apostle Paul wasn't just the teacher, he was the demonstration, he was the visual aid of Christianity. The word heard is something that can be from a distance or up close. When we think about examples of Christianity, one of the distant examples of Christianity would be in books. You can read a, a non-fiction Christian book about somebody's life, and they will talk about portions of the Word of God and how they lived it out in their life, and you can hear that example through the book. You can hear an example uh, next Sunday morning. We're going to have, uh, in Sunday school, uh, Dale Stewart's sister Darlene is going to share about her husband primarily. Is that, is that correct? He was an evangelist, a, a native of New Zealand, a, an aboriginal in New Zealand, and is that right? Am I saying that right? And she's going to share about him. He's not going to be here. He's with the Lord. 
She's going to share about things. We're going to hear examples of how he lived out Christianity. That's what Paul's talking about here. And when we hear those examples, they will challenge us. Um, we saw an example of it in the video from, from uh, Steve Everett down in Brazil. They've got a facility. They're preparing it for this. And we say, wow, he takes the... He takes the commission to take the gospel around the world so seriously he's there. That instructs me about how to live the Christian life. There's also, though, the example here, or the, the, the command here, or the, uh, the instruction when he says, you heard and you saw. You, something that is seen is up close. When we look around this room, we see examples of Christianity. Okay? When I was in college studying preaching, it's called homiletics, when academic, uh, the academic term, my professor had just come out of the pastorate, and he not only modeled it for us in class, he modeled it in the chapel service. And so I heard him say, this is how to make a sermon, and I saw him do it. A living example makes an abstract concept into a concrete reality which we can apply to our situation. The reason that I like to share real-life examples is because they put feet and hands on the Word of God. We go, oh, that's how this person did it, or that's how this person should have done it. When we have a discipleship relationship with people, maybe in a small group, we can share a little more openly about how we've lived out Christianity. That's what Paul is talking about. We need to see those examples. We should put our ourselves in a place to see an example. Whoops, back that up. God has declared that we should learn from examples both good and bad. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, the Apostle Paul talks about a, an example from the people, the children of Israel in the Old Testament. They were an example of how not to obey. The Apostle Paul was an example of how to obey. When you don't understand how to live out God's truth, you should seek an example. We have some excellent examples here. There are many excellent examples in other places, but that's one of the ways we learn. Uh, I have a friend named Mitch who is both an architect and a builder. And I said, Mitch, would you come over to my house? I, I'm, I'm, I'm wanting to, to change out the windows and maybe dress up the siding a little bit. And I wanted somebody like an architect who has designed, and you know, like he designed the, the Bakerview Square down there and stuff like that. And I thought, give me some ideas of what I could do. And so he came over, and, and then, you know, I'd gotten my first two replacement windows, and I'd opened the hole, and I said, you know, I'm, it doesn't quite fit the same way, and I'm thinking about doing it like this. And he said, hey, here try this. And so after I went to Home Depot and bought a new tool, I was able to do it just like that. <laughs> and baby, it was slick. And uh, he saved me a lot of time and helped me to get a nicer result because he knows more than me about building. Okay. 
There are people who know more than you about living for the Lord. And it's not just knowledge up here. It's actual life experience. And you ought to seek them out. You ought to say, you know, I'm, I, I'm struggling like this or I'm struggling like that. Could you give me some ideas? You know, many times we know truth, but we're not quite sure how to apply it. And Christianity is intended to be a group event in which we help one another. Thanks, Frank Sinatra's signature song says, For what is a man, what has he got? If not himself, then he has not. To say the things he truly feels and not the words of one who kneels. The record shows I took the blows and did it my way. Great, Frank. Tell me how that's working out for you now. That is not the Christian way. The Christian way is to say, you know what, I'm struggling here. You know what, I'm, I'm in over my head. I've come to a point in life where I don't know what to do. And in God's providence and in God's time, you'll be that example for somebody else. The Christian way is learning from God through the Word and through mature believers, which makes it entirely possible that we can avoid taking the blows just so we could say we did it our way. Well, the fourth thing we need to learn about obedience here is, is actually coming to the point of obedience. <laughs> obedience in fact, you could just leave the word accomplished out and say this. Obedience is conformity to God's truth. Obedience is conformity to God's truth. Look at verse 9 again, please. The thing which you have learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. And the word for do there isn't just like our word do it. It actually means to practice. Um, now, now, I'm practicing on the windows on the back of my house so that I'll be good at it when I get to the front of the house. Okay? Well, I'm going to make mistakes on it. Can I get a witness on that? I'm going to make mistakes on the back of the house. <laughs> That's not this kind of practicing. That, the word practice here means something like this. I practice home maintenance. I'm regularly maintaining my home. Uh, I, I just took the vents from underneath the, uh, the house this week so the air can blow. And, when, you know, and that lets it you know, not get dry rod under there. And when the cold comes, I will plug it back up so our house isn't so cold. There are things to do to maintain the house, and I regularly do that. That's what this word means. So the question we have to ask is, am I regularly conforming my behavior to what God says I should be? Listen to the words of Christ. Why do you call me Lord, but do not do the things that I say? See, it's easy to come to worship. We have a wonderful worship team, and the music is great, and we sing to the Lord. But the Lord is saying, when you walk out the door, are you doing? Why do you call me Lord, but do not do? If you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. Did Adam and Eve conform to God's truth? No. Did Cain 
conform to God's instruction when he said, look, Cain, you can bring the right sacrifice and you'll be blessed. No, he did not conform. Did David conform to God's law when he committed adultery with Bathsheba? No. Now, if you'd ask David at that moment, do you believe in the Ten Commandments? He would have said, yes! But real belief ushers forth in doing, in obedience. Our behavior either conforms to God's instruction or it does not. There is not any middle ground here. While God does give us explanations and reasons for obedience, we have not obeyed till we have done what he commands. So the question that I most want you to ask today is, am I conforming on a regular basis to God's truth? Because if you are, there is a promise attached. Look at verse 9 one more time. The things you have learned and received and heard and saw, do, and the God of peace will be with you. Obedience results in fellowship with God. Man, that's, that's where I want to be. I want to be in fellowship with God. Listen to this passage. It talks about fellowship with God. What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell with them and walk among them. I will be their God. They shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Now, this passage of Scripture was written to a group of Christians this is not an evangelistic passage saying, you need to accept Christ and come be my children. He's talking to a group of Christians saying, you need to live in such a way so that I can express myself as a father to you. When we live righteously as Christians, we experience God as father. When we live unrighteously, we experience God as disciplinarian. And he says, look, I want to be a father to you, and I want you to be my sons and daughters. So what happens when we do walk in obedience and have fellowship with God? What does fellowship with God bring? Well, first of all, it brings peace. He's called here the God of peace. The God of peace. The only real, enduring, unchanging source of peace is God. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it, let it be afraid. When we do wrong, the Holy Spirit convicts us, and that conviction does not feel like peace. That conviction feels like, did anybody see what I just did? That conviction feels like, Oh, what am I going to say now? Oh, I don't know what to do. Oh. oh, I hope they don't find out. That whole state of being is called guilt. And it's from God. And you know why God does that? Because he knows living in sin is not good for us. And so he does that. He sends the conviction of the Holy Spirit so that we will come back to him and humbly say, Father, I have sinned. And when we admit our sin, he welcomes us like the father did that prodigal son and says, my son has come home. 
peace comes through fellowship with God. Number two, what does fellowship with God bring? It brings blessing. Look at this. Be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word but not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer, this one will be blessed in what he does. Obedience gives us fellowship with God, which sets loose, turns loose the blessing of God. Why is that? Here's a simple thing for you to remember. I'm going to start a verse and you finish it with me. The wages of sin is death. Say that again. The wages of sin is death. Now we all know that there's an ultimate sense in that verse, which is if you live in sin and reject Christ as Savior, when you die physically, you will also die spiritually. You will, you will go to hell. Okay? But the principle is true from the beginning of life forward. When we sin, we reap the wages of sin. But when we live righteously... We reap the wages of righteousness. Now, I'm not talking about earning salvation. You cannot earn your salvation. Once you have believed in Christ and become a child of God, blessing comes through righteousness. Jesus said, in contrast to the wages of sin being death, he said, I have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. Abundant life. God intends for us to live a joyful, peaceful life. Now, I didn't say that God intends us to live a life without problem or challenge or heartache. But he intends through that to bless us if we will walk righteously. The third thing the fellowship with God brings is strength. Strength. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. And it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. Righteousness is how you build your life on Christ the rock. Sin is how you build your life on sand. And the real proof comes when the crisis comes, when the hardship comes, when the difficulty comes. The wind, the rain beats on your house and you either stand strong because you're just living the way you've always lived righteously in God, or you crumble and you collapse because there's no strength. One of the reasons that I wanted to have my friend Mitch come over to the house was because I had an idea for the window that needs to be replaced in our bedroom. I thought, I could, that's wide enough, I could put a bay wall with a door going outside 
have a couple of windows and a nice glass door and kind of dress up my bedroom and get another access to the, to the backyard. And so I said, hey, Mitch, you know, this is what I'm thinking about. And he goes, well, yeah, that would be a project. <laughs> and I said, he, he, you know, you either have to, you know, frame it or put a slab or something. He goes, yeah. And he says, you've got to have 12 inches of free space if you frame it. So you've got to dig a big hole down there so there's room for the air to move. I'm not going to do that, so I put a slab in. You know, I just pour a slab there and whatnot. I go, well, if you're going to put a slab in, you've got to dig down, and it's got to be a heavy slab, because otherwise when the ground heaves, your wall will heave and your door will never open right. And I said, well, it looks like I'm just going to replace the window then. <laughs> There is a strong way to build a house, and there is a stupid way to build a house. And sometimes you think you're real smart. I'm going to pour some concrete. But you're just not as smart as you think. And so you end up building something that is weak. Christian, how's the strength of your life today? Are you enjoying the blessing of obedience or is your life heaving up because of the changes in temperature in your world? Maybe you're here today and you haven't taken the first step of obedience. This is the first step of obedience. This is his command. That's something you should obey. That we should believe in the name of his son Jesus Christ and love one another as he gave us commandment. If you're here today and you've never believed in Christ, that is the first step of obedience God wants. He doesn't want anything else. He wants you to believe in Christ as your Savior. And from there, He will lead you and encourage you and strengthen you. Heavenly Father, help us. We love to talk about your word. We love to hear it. Help us to love to do it. Help us to be practicers of your word. As we do it, we pray for your blessing. Show us yourself and encourage us as we walk with you. I pray in Christ's name, amen.